The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks a green dog blitz is when a new dog shows up at the park. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, the host of the Dominique Foxworth Show. You can find him all over ESPN. Debatable. Get up. First take. Dig everything? Dominique Foxworth. Yeah, sure. Whatever. What's up, buddy? Good to see you. How it's you good feeling? to see you, too. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I Did you enjoy Monday's game between the Niners and the Rams? I did. I mean, it feels like another one of those kind of throwbacky games where it's defense yeah. and running the ball. I enjoyed the game. Debo is incredible. Um, the Rams are really concerning, and I think I was one of the people who was kind of defensive of Cooper Cup over the offseason, whereas people generally, and maybe this is just uh, a small circle of football fans and analysts. People are criticizing Cooper Cup? Who are these people? Well, I think it's like comparing Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup had the Triple Crown last year, so like in my view, I was like, all right, he's like the best receiver in football. And there are people who are like, he's not in the top five, and last wow. night, I mean, as far as like talented receivers, if you're pick, if you're drafting right now, is Cooper Cup the one of the first five receivers you would draft? And my answer over the summer was yes. And partly last night's game is like an uh, argument for why he's yeah. not because yeah. his his um his effectiveness is moving the chains and he doesn't scare defenses and that's when you have a bad offensive line or yeah when you're weak on the offensive line it allows teams to blitz and play more aggressively than they normally would have if they're not afraid of Allen Robinson or Cooper Cup like breaking their defense well I think they're afraid of Cooper Cup I mean looked like he was doubled or bracketed on yeah I mean, well, the I mean, problem I, is, but I, he is their whole offense right now, right? Like, he is. So I, I, okay. I would push back on that. It didn't feel like he was doubled very often. And when they did double him, they bracketed him because they're afraid of him doing an option right. route and getting the first down. It's very different. You don't bracket a receiver that can run past you. So that's, right. that's a whole nother okay. ball of wax. That no, is just no, a, I hear a, you. I hear what you're saying. No, th- there's an explosiveness maybe that's not as threatening right. as like a you know, I don't know, Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson or, well, we'll talk about Debo Samuel in a second. Um, Yeah, I think this was a a good example of, like, you can't build the whole plane out of Cooper Cup because even if he is getting you, you know, seven, eight yards at a time or whatever, if you can't do anything else, um, that's just – the offense is just so tight. And, you know, moving forward, like, we will talk about the Niners' defense (laughs) momentarily and how – whether or not they're the best in the league – that was my first winner, by the way, when we started the podcast and week one was the Niners defense. Um, and they certainly lived up to that. But I am, I'll start here. I am legitimately concerned about this Rams offense because if you can't run the ball and you can't pass protect, you can't do much, Dominique. And right and now, when he throws, oh, yeah, sorry. Well, and then, yeah, I think with Matt Stafford, those interceptions have always been there, but. He's streaky about it, right? And it feels like, okay, well, if all these other things are going wrong and Matt Stafford is pressing, as he clearly was in this game, that's when bad things start to happen with him. Right. And the answer to a team that's really aggressively blitzing you is 
screens is one of the answers. If the screen goes for six, <laughs> what the hell can you do? And it feels like there's so many things wrong. And part of this is you make trade-offs. And one of the trade-offs from the F them picks philosophy is you have less room for error. You have yeah. to make all your off-season acquisitions have to work. You know, and Allen Robinson hasn't worked. And they're in a situation now where, like, if you look at the last several years as a collection of years, then you're like, all right, we got a Super Bowl out of it. It was worth yeah. it. But now you got to pay for that Super Bowl. Yeah, I think it's it. You got to you're right. Last night, I thought it was a really good exhibition for, oh, they're a little bit worse in a lot of places. Whether it's, you know, I mean, you can really go across the roster. You lose not just Andrew Whitworth, but the interior of the offensive line. Guys have moved on. You draft Logan Bruss this year in the second round. He immediately gets hurt in the preseason. Um, and, and so that's a problem. You know, wide receiver-wise, you mentioned they signed Allen Robinson, who's been pretty ineffective for them thus far. Tutu Atwell was a second-round draft pick. He was a healthy scratch. Um, you know, so that's an issue. Von Miller. Von Miller on the other side. They're not getting any pass rush outside of Aaron Dodd. That was actually really striking to me um, how little of a pass rush they get got outside of Aaron Donald. I mean, Leonard Floyd, I don't think he has a sack so far this season. And when you play next to Aaron Donald, you should have some sacks through the first four games of the season because the opportunities are there. And, you know, they were moving Aaron Donald around trying to take advantage of matchups on that Niners, you know, injured offensive line at left tackle. They shouldn't have to move him. I mean, you know, it's it's good to have that in your arsenal, but because of the double teams he commands, you everyone else gets one-on-ones. You should be able to get something going. And then, you know, in the secondary, again, players have moved on. Darius Williams now in Jacksonville. All of a sudden, although I do actually think the young corners look pretty good, but all of a sudden just across the board, you're like, "Oh god, like you're like you said, the margin for error is so small that if you're not improving at a number of positions or you're a little bit worse suddenly it adds up to a worse team yeah the um the pressure is a concern obviously but i i don't know i mean i guess in last night's game it didn't feel like the pressure was or the lack of pressure was because of lack of personnel which is probably part of it but it also felt like they were never in advantageous positions because they also couldn't really stop the run And uh, the 49ers didn't seem to want to do, like, aggressive drop-back passing, which, like, we understand why they wouldn't want to do that. And they didn't. So if the Rams can get a lead and force the opponents and also stop the run, that forces – that allows, I think, the D-line to be more effective. So, like, all that stuff is interconnected. Yes, we can be critical of the pass rush that they had, but it's also, like, I'm trying to think back and – my memory could be a little hazy, but I remember very few times that Jimmy Garoppolo just did straight drop back. I remember several times where they gashed him for, for uh, like effective runs. Yeah, and it felt like they really had their number too in terms of the pass rush. Like, had answers for the blitz, and every time that the Rams' uh, defensive line was over aggressive in their pursuit of either the run or the pass. Shanahan seemed to just have the counterpunch, the per- whether it's that wham block or whether it's, you know, going to Debo Samuel when you get Aaron Donald coming off the left side. It just felt like they were a step ahead the entire game on that side of the ball. Whereas on the other side, um, 
D'Amico Ryans went nuts in this game with the blitz, which, uh, you know, the Troy Aikman and Joe Buck commented on this lot because it, it's shocking. The Niners typically don't blitz. They're the third least blitzing team in the NFL coming into this game. They blitzed Matthew Stafford on, I believe, nearly 50% of dropbacks. Uh, and it felt like, I mean, you talked a little bit about the screens. It, it just felt like the Rams, for so much of the game, didn't have a counter for that, especially in key moments in the red zone, which is really, you know, there, there were times where they could actually put together a few ball uh, drives and kind of get get there. But um, once they got into the red zone, they just really didn't have an answer for it. Yeah, I mean, the, the I'm thinking back to that one pass that uh, Matthew Stafford just threw well behind. Uh, yeah. I think it might have been Higby that should have been intercepted and it was dropped. The night could have been even worse. But, yeah, they didn't seem to have and. Red zone efficiency, like, as you know, is often, like, a little bit cyclical and random. But uh, it felt last night, with the exception of that one pass, that they just got down there. And and I guess it just speaks to the whole the whole game. is like they don't have much. Yeah. They got one punch, and it's not – and it's a jab. Like, no disrespect to Cooper Cup, but his punch is a jab, and they don't have any knockouts. It's – yes. It feels like – McVeigh is having to work so hard for every down. I think that's it, right? First of all, we know scheming around a bad offensive line, you have to like cut your playbook in half at just as a starting point. And the inside of the offensive line is bad now. Uh, and then the fact that you can't run the ball, really, I would say both inside and outside is an issue um, for a couple of reasons. I think some of that's on the blocking. I also think, you know, Cam Akers just doesn't have the juice right now. Honestly, still coming back off of that injury, of course. But then it's like, okay, well, what, you know, he's using Skaronic as a fullback, and sometimes that works, but sometimes he's going to, you know, like go one-on-one -on -one with, uh, was yes. it Nick, uh, Nick Boza, Bupai? Uh, or like you bring in Allen Robinson because he's supposed to help you in the red zone. By the way, they weren't good in the red zone last year either. It was like one area where the Rams were weak. You get him there, you line him up, you throw him the fade, he ain't coming down with the football. He's got drops there. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, what, what else can you do here? Because... You're running out of, like you said, like almost like weapons. Um, yeah. That Skoranek thing is really depressing when you are playing against <laughs> the 49ers in particular. Yeah. Because they're like, we got a wide receiver that can do a lot of things. He's not going to have any catches and he's going to play fullback. And then you look over like, we have a wide receiver named Debo that actually can do a lot of things. So, yeah, like, let's, let's... A, a lot of useful things. Oh, my God. Let's talk about Debo for a second. Do you yeah. think he is the most dangerous player in the NFL with the ball in his hands outside of Lamar? I mean, Tyreek Hill yeah. also. I mean, yeah. I, 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 wouldn't, player, yeah. I wouldn't argue with anyone who said that Debo was that guy. But, I mean, I think there's a couple guys that are up there. But, yeah, Debo, it's different than Tyreek Hill. Uh, Debo is, I was going to say like a running back, but he is a running back at times who gets out there and like he ran through Jalen Ramsey's tackle. Like Jalen Ramsey's not a small guy. He's yeah. not afraid to tackle. He's not a corner who's not physical. And Debo just ran through it like you would expect a running back to do. It's it's something special. And then he pulls away from people. It's He is special and Shanahan uses him in all the ways that he can be used. It's that combination of the strength and acceleration that is just so 
unmatched. I mean, shoot, sometimes with the Bonds, he looks like Derrick Henry, like at the end of games, yeah. just untackleable, but then sort of like gaining power as the game goes on. He seems to get, I, I swear to God, he looks so big on the field to me sometimes yeah, too. I think it's just the, contrary to the expectations of like a wide receiver moving that way in space. But like, it looks like, um, you know, and uh, the, I, I don't know what broadcasts they do where they'll like make the guys bigger. They like, you know. Oh, that that's Fox, right? Where they do Fox the... Fox that. Yeah, it feels oh, like they, no, someone no. made him a little bit bigger on every play. Yeah, like, just I, I little, got you. I thought you were talking things. about... Because Fox does those, like, those... Um, oh, the like, cartoons that are, like... graphics, but you're not talking about that. You're talking about, like, when <laughs> no. they zoom in on a player. The Fox ones are demented, <laughs> where they yeah, give everybody, I mean, like, an insane eight-pack and, like, yeah. just make everyone, like, weirdly sexualized and jacked. Um, <laughs> you remember the Ben Roethlisberger one from before he retired? Have I ever shown this oh, to you? God. It's incredible. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, yes, obviously. My big take, I mean, we know Debo is amazing. My big takeaway from this game, offensively, uh, I thought the Niners offensive line looked a lot better than I expected. Part of the reason why I picked the Rams in this one and the Niners Twitter dunked on us, we, at NFL Live, we did a unanimous Rams pick and it was, we, we, tried to never do that because for uh, this yeah. team socials just like are constant. And it's funny because I don't think like I believe the picks across like the country were pretty split on this game. It was a very close line. I saw the pregame show. So you just know these team socials are just waiting. They're looking for anywhere. Can we find the unanimous pick? Can we find I mean we gave them a really you know a, a nice tasty one served up. But I swear yeah. to God they'll look for like you know like a social media, sh- they'll they'll do whatever it takes to find like bulletin board material for these tweets. Um, but you know, credit where credits too. So, but what surprised me? So, I like I said, the reason I picked them was I thought the Trent Williams injury would be bigger. And in recent weeks, I've expressed some concerns about this Niners offensive line. But I thought they played really well. I thought, um, I mean, granted, Jimmy Garoppolo throws the ball pretty quickly, but I thought they did a great job of game planning for Aaron Donald. Um, mm-hmm. you know, running away from him, moving the pocket away from him. And yeah, I was really impressed with how they looked up front. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought the Trent Williams injury was going to be bigger. I mean, I guess we still have season to go to see yeah. how they hold up when they are down and they do have to drop back. But I mean, it's also running the ball. Having Trent Williams out there was quite possibly the most athletic man at that size. They're going to miss him and they haven't missed him yet, but We'll see what happens going for, or they didn't miss him in this game at least. We'll see what happens going forward. But um, I don't know. We had this conversation on Get Up earlier today uh, about them being the rematch for the NFC Championship and are either of these teams Super Bowl contenders now. Hmm. And I <laughs> am. What? You're laughing because I'm forcing these. T- dumb topics on no TV i did i did the same thing this morning like a- okay. <laughs> yeah i mean it was a good question i guess because it was hard to answer because like the 49ers the same they they don't really feel like it but they never really feel like it and somehow they always end up in contention in the rams definitely yeah. not to me right now with the rams mm. okay the niners the same team basically same yeah. offense I, you could argue that the defense is going to be better this year with Traverius Ward and then Talanoa Hufanga has been incredible for them at safety. So, you know, improvements in the back end, the pass rush is, of course, as good as ever, whether they're just sending for blitzing. I guess maybe the case for them being a Super Bowl contender, despite, again, largely being the same, uh, to me rests on a couple of things. One, 
right now, offense is down. There's like a bigger conversation about that and whatever. But it feels like this is a year where a, the best defense in the NFL, and I kind of think they are the best defense in the NFL, coupled with a game manager quarterback, provided he doesn't make any backbreaking errors, which of course, gigantic caveat, feels like a year where they could win. And the other thing is, I think when I look across the NFC, if this is about just getting yep. to the Super Bowl, yeah, I could see it. I think I, I look at the main competitors. You've got the Bucks and the Packers, both of whom have weaknesses on the offensive line and quarterbacks who struggle under pressure. Well, that happens to be where the Niners are fantastic. And then the Eagles. And I think that, I, you know, I would obviously put the Eagles a cut above them, but they're a pretty similar football team in some in certain ways. Um, I think that they match up better with them than perhaps most teams in the NFL. So I, it, do, it, it does not seem outside the realm of possibility to me that this team could get back to the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah, I think I landed on the same thing. The Eagles seem to be a bit uh, cut above, in part because of their depth is everyone's going to have injuries. They're more um, like built to survive them because they're so deep and they have yeah. guys that they can rely on like two at all the important positions um, from receiver to offensive tackle to cornerback. Uh, they have guys that they can trust there. And that is something the the question, the reason why, and I guess the, the strike against the Eagles is the quarterback even though he's been great this year, there's like they played not so great opponents, I guess. Maybe he doesn't have that highest level, even though he's shown it so far in the regular season. But that strike doesn't hold up that well if you're looking at the 49ers. Yeah. <laughs> because they also have a quarterback who has huge question marks and, frankly, is probably less talented than yeah. Jalen Hurts. So, yeah. Yeah. I, give me the Eagles. Maybe the 49ers can make a run. I guess my last question about this game coming off of it is like, are the Rams fixable? Is there like, I think cause yeah, it's tricky, man. Cause this, like we, you know, we talked about McVay's not playing with a full deck here. The offense, I think the defense can get things, you know, and play better than they did yesterday. They weren't terrible by any means, but offensively it feels like they don't really have, there, there are there were players who were hurt on that offensive line and will get back, but they're still it, it's not the group that it was in recent years, even at full strength. And then in terms of like the weapons, at some point, I guess they can get OBJ in the mix, which certainly is a game changer for them on offense um, just because of, well, there's a million reasons why. But, you know, having Cooper Cup not be first, second, and third option on every play, having defenses having to count account for another wide receiver would certainly help. Um, I thought one thing I noticed in this game was they used a teeny bit of 12 personnel to try to help out the offensive line, and actually on those plays were pretty successful. Um, so their number two tight end right now is suspended, Bryson Hopkins. This is I'm really reaching, man. I'm like, their backup yeah, tight I, end might come in and save this, but yeah, it, they just need bodies, honestly. To try to right. make yeah. life a little I mean, bit harder for defenses, the, we don't we don't know that Odell will come back and be himself at least immediately. Um, and if uh, no second string tight ends are, are not tilting the balance, so like it feels very unlikely. So they can they can clip this for their social later when they go on a Super Bowl run. <laughs> in front of us, but I don't see this. I don't actually see this happening. It doesn't work unless there's a graphic. Can you guys? Oh, yeah. um, make a graphic 
to put on Dominique that says Dominique doesn't believe in the Rams. Their season is over. It's for the, the Rams social media. I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm not uh, one last thing I'm I do want to bring up. Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan. I love him. Dominique, how much do I love Kyle Shanahan? So much. Please give me a, li- a little. One to ten, nine point six. Yeah, that's fair. I don't think I love it. Lenny's like a 9.7, so that's fair. <laughs> um, I think he's brilliant. I think he's incredible play caller. Last night, I thought he masterclass. However, you got to go for it on fourth down when you're there. I mean, come on. I, I mean, I know this is who he is. I, you know, yeah. you had the chance to put the game away, and obviously the defense was locked in, and it didn't matter, but that's not always going to be the case, and you have to prepare for the possibility that Jimmy Garoppolo might throw an interception later on, and when you got the chance to get the points with him, you take him. You take them, especially. It drives. I don't it's, know. Like, what's it going to take? He's always he's always been like that. It's not going to take anything. He's not going to change. It's his. It's, uh, I don't know. It's who he is. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, he's he's a he's his father's son. He's still there with his thinking, I guess. And it, you get the good with the bad with Kyle. It's like I don't know. It, it, it's like someone who's like the most beautiful person in the world, but like only thinks that they can be with. I don't know. The, 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 here's what I you the, can't why. Even come up with an analogy. It's a tortured analogy. But my point is, the thing that's frustrating for it, because you know, there's a lot of coaches around the league who don't go for it on fourth down or whatever, and we criticize them in certain situations. You're so good at calling plays, so it's like. <sighs> He doesn't have faith in the thing that he is arguably the best in the NFL at. And also, by the way, your team is literally built to do this. He's old school. Like, he wants to run the ball more than he wants to pass the ball. Like, you, you have to take the good with the bad with someone like that. If Yeah, it's like, I don't want to go on the, the dating analogy, but you get yeah, the point. You need a better one. You have to. You need a better analogy. You have to. It's like, okay, here's a better analogy. It's like a job. It's like there are certain jobs that you have to get up really early to do. So, like, if you're a trash man, you got to get get up really early to do that job. The good part about that is you get your whole afternoon to yourself. The bad part is you got to get up really early. You can't have the good without the bad. And Kyle Shanahan, yeah, that's even worse analogy. No, no, no. But I, I, you get the point. Okay, I, here we go. Okay. Kyle Shanahan not going for an up fourth down because he's such a brilliant offensive play caller with such you know weapons who are optimized for the situation. Um, he's like a master chef in a kitchen that is stocked with the best ingredients on earth. Okay? And, and, and for your appetizer, he makes you like a beautiful like sashimi dish with like uh, caviar. It's incredible. For the entree, um, you get like a... I don't know why I'm going in a Japanese direction here. But I was going to say like a Wagyu steak. I don't know. It's like an incredible, maybe like a little, like, um, I love trout. Maybe like a nice, like, smoked trout, you know, with, I don't know why I always smoked. (laughs) Anyways, another incredible dish. And you're like, oh, my God, this guy, everything he's cooking is out of this world. I'm, like, losing mine. Then all of a sudden, it's time for dessert. And he puts a single Nilla wafer on your plate and walks away. He grew up on Nilla Wafers. He loves them. He grew up on them. It's a, it's a perfect analogy. You're right. That's what he grew up on. He grew up on kicking field goals when you can. <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick break and hand out some Nilla Wafers. Ah, uh, yummy. The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. I think I did it on the... 
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. As you guys know, NFL teams can make mistakes when it comes to spending money. For example cover years Broncos fans Russell Wilson has a 53 million dollar cap hit this year (laughs) but uh, unlike the uh, Walton family I'm guessing people listening to this podcast don't have millions to spend maybe some of you do I don't know get at me but when it comes to a great shave you don't have to shell out tons of cash Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced underperforming products and they decided to do something better they found their own way to make a beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands so you never wonder if you overpaid They have customizable delivery options for scheduled refills as low as $2, which is half of what you pay for big brands. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best does not mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash M-I-N-A. That's harrys.com slash Mina for a $3 trial set. All right, we are back. So... Last week. Let's be I transparent. Said, uh, Let's be transparent about the winners and losers. <laughs> Just tell them everything. Go right in. You want me to tell them or you want, want to tell them? You tell them. You tell them. Nope. I don't want to tell them. You tell them. <laughs> it's your show. You tell them what happened. Okay. If it says winners and woofs, I'm going to try to make I'm this sorry. happen, Dominic. Trying to be, I'm sorry. I'm committed to that. I'm committed to winners and woofs. You tell them okay. what happened with the winners and woofs. <laughs> So we sent an email for the show, just <laughs> and I think I, I write in my email, Eugene Cyril Smith, Gina Smith, yes. and it was my winner, and Kenny Pickett is my woof. Dominic uh, writes back with his winner and woof. Tell them what you said. Um, uh, I said, <laughs> Peter, uh, Clay, Clay, Clay. Peter, Clay, Carol, and Pickett was my woof. <laughs> Basically the whole point sense. of this is he's supposed to give us an opportunity to talk about four new subjects. And I just stole Mina's because I didn't read her email. I also did the middle name thing without like, um, <laughs> like just like a mistake or not a mistake, but like for the same reason I did the middle name thing and it was, and then you responded like, I'll just pick two new ones. And I was like, pick two new ones. And then I looked, they were like, Oh. I, just, I tried I just to do the thing them. where I, I tried to be nice and shame you at the same time. <laughs> it worked. It was a nice shame. All right. It's <sighs> actually for the best that you're going to go with the Seahawks as a winner and not me. So let's yeah. start there. The floor is yours. We're going to um, go, wait, 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 go winner, woof, winner, woof. Because to be fair, to be fair, yeah. my winner was slightly different. It was slightly, slightly different. different. It was slightly different. I went with Pete Carroll because yeah. I feel like Pete Carroll, yeah. like, this is the... This is the Belichick Brady thing playing out in the other direction. Ooh. Ooh. It's like 
Um, and I imagine that Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick, they got to be the two oldest coaches in football yeah. right now. Yes. I don't, yeah. They probably, I don't know, call each other on the telegram and, or telegraph and talk about how Russell should have never left and Tom Brady should have never left. But like, I think that the Pete Carroll victory lap hasn't started, but he's revving <laughs> up his engine because it sure seems like Russell can't get right and, Pete Carroll is, is like succeeding with Gino. Gino's putting up big numbers and they're winning. He's doing everything that yeah, that they want that Russell would have wanted to do if he had stayed there. I think that you're right on a lot of counts. I think from the narrative standpoint and it is a, that is how literally everybody was just comparing Gino Smith and Russell Wilson's numbers right now and we all know what happened. Well, I don't actually think everybody knows what happened, but it's Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson and all of that. People have a general idea of it. He is a winner. However, I don't think you, they, you can feel the defense that the Seahawks have this season. And if you're Pete Carroll, who's a defensive coach, do any victory laps just yet um, in a holistic fashion. But he's got. it has got to feel good. And I think what's got what's probably got to feel really good is a lot of people including perhaps your girl, um, blamed the Seahawks almost entirely. When the, when the Seahawks offense struggle, I would find myself, you know, it's the offensive line, it's the play calling, it's the running the ball, it's whatever, not Russell Wilson. And I think you're now kind of isolating the variable a little bit. Now, it's a little bit unfair because there's diff- many different points in Russell Wilson's career where he played different styles of football, so I don't think it's fair to... but. Over the last two years, I think we're seeing the same Wilson that we saw the last two years in Seattle now in Denver, which makes sense. That's how time works. Whereas Geno Smith, in pretty similar circumstances, is executing this offense to perfection. Yeah, which is... Uh, and Victory lap might be the wrong word, but gloat fest? I don't think it matters that his defense is bad. None of that matters. <laughs> what matters is he had a much cheaper quarterback producing yeah. the same way that Just Russell is. And that's what it comes down to because if the riff was between Pete Carroll and Russell and most of the fans or the kids in this place, in this case, were on uh, Russell's side, it has to feel really good. And yeah. when Russell left, there was less, like, even from you, like, it didn't seem like Seahawks fans were like upset or concerned as mm. much as they should have been and that yeah. could have changed and I thought it was likely to change through the course of this year when I thought Russell and the Broncos were going to be good and the Seahawks were going to be garbage and it's not it's gone the other way the Seahawks are better than the Broncos I mean, right now the Seahawks offense was just really unpleasant to watch the last two years yeah. it looked very similar to what I was seeing from Denver which is every now and then there'd be like an incredible magical drive and a gorgeous deep ball but there'd be so many three and out so many sacks not taking what was available underneath so I think there's just something very like aesthetically pleasing about watching Geno Smith like just methodically run the Shane Waldron offense and I think that's by the way you know why this is working so well he is a perfect fit for what Waldron wants to do on offense, which, you know, Shane Waldron was with the Rams as their pass game coordinator. And, you know, there's a lot of um, gene, genetic, you know, gen, gen, genes similar between them and what you're seeing in Seattle, the use of the tight ends, the under center play action. It just works. Um, I think what's been remarkable about Gino, just to pivot this from 
you know, like the who's winning the breakup kind of talk for a little bit is last year. So I expressed some skepticism. First of all, I thought he should win the job over Drew Locke. And clearly that's been the case. I did, however, express some skepticism because last year you saw he struggled under pressure. He has been dynamite against the Blitz this year. I think you saw that against a very aggressive Detroit defense. He's just sees the field really well. He has all of the correct answers. Um, there was a play, I kind of joked about this, but when he audibled to, I don't know if you noticed, you saw this, the, it was a 36 yard run on like yeah, third and right, 16. Yeah. That's all Gino, man. Like that is him yeah. being in a very experienced and intelligent NFL quarterback. And I don't know how this season's going to go. He's only making $1.2 million, by the way. But I really hope even if there are some downs and there will be downs against harder defenses, he gets credit for what he's accomplished this year. And by credit, you mean money? Money. Yes. <laughs> um, he, the, I don't know where I heard this. It, it was a long time ago, but it stuck with me is how, um, how restraints in certain cases or uh, restrictions are like really good for creativity and like how difficult it is to give someone a blank page and say, mm. make magic. I think we talked about this a little bit when it applied to Russell Wilson and how, when you hand somebody the keys and like do whatever you want, it may na- may not be uh, the best for them and not necessarily because they make the bad decisions. But sometimes when you are put in a situation where you have to work around certain per- yeah. parameters, you can perform better. And I think that's partially what's happening with Geno Smith is they're like, all right, these are these are your areas to play. This is what we want to accomplish here, here and here. And then these are your areas where you can do your own thing. I think like Russell would benefit from that. And Geno is certainly benefiting from that, and you I, know. it's like Tom Brady. I don't know how things work in Tampa. I think the presumption is that Tom Brady just came down there and told Byron Leftwich exactly what he wants to do, and they're doing it that way. I, I do know that when when um, Peyton went to Denver, that's how it happened. But when Peyton was in Indianapolis, Peyton had like pretty much complete autonomy. But that ain't for everybody, and it seems like it's not for for Russell right now. You know what? felt um what you're just describing was something that was really in my mind watching the chiefs against the bucks actually mm-hmm. just watching like patrick mahomes like that offense for the most they are like running the ball well the screen game looks so really well. good and then every you know other drive patrick mahomes would do something batshit crazy and that's <laughs> that's the sweet spot right like you don't want to build yeah. the whole plane out of crazy you want <laughs> Patrick Mahomes to elevate the offense in certain moments. But that's always the thing with the right. Chiefs, right? Is like, you don't, I actually thought when they beat the Chargers, that was too much just like, oh, Patrick, make a crazy play. Oh, but we're going to have some three and outs and we're not going to be able to like run the ball well. Like, it's like, it's nice when it's kind of like the frosting and not the whole cake. Sorry, I haven't right. eaten lunch yet. If it's, yeah, I'm hungry I too. Keep going um, with these metaphors. It's, Anyways. It's, uh, yeah. And I think that partially like, ruins some quarterbacks that yeah. think that they can be frosting all the time, <laughs> but you can't. It's not a good idea. The I was looking at some Chiefs numbers. I know this isn't what we're talking about, but I looked at how well they're running the ball against blocking disadvantages, and they are really, really good at it and committed to it, which, like, yeah. surprised me. I was trying to figure out, like, how this offense could be so good without Tyreek Hill, and I think that's the answer is that – Yeah. Yeah, is that Bienemy oh. and Reed are like, you know what? The offensive line is really good. They were bullying and, the Bucks. 
The yeah. Bucks. I mean, <laughs> the other thing though is uh, you know, the offensive line has been good. What struck me, I know we're like suddenly pivoting to talk about the Chiefs, so we're not going to stay here. But um, this—that's the best I thought their backs have looked in terms of actually trusting their blocks. Yeah. Ty- Clyde Edwards-Helaire looking decisive um, because sometimes he kind of—I would say—he's like always like a, he can be like a tick slow. But he plays behind a dominant run blocking group, so it should be one of the most efficient rushing attacks in the NFL. Obviously, they get a ton of light boxes as well. So, anyways, I mean, they were overexpected too. The rush yeah. running backs are, yeah, very yeah. Both him and Pacheco, yeah. All right. Um. I, so I lied. I, last week I said we were going to go winner woof woof winner, but I actually just the way things shook out because of um some back and forth about the winners and woofs that we don't have to go into and some of the complications <laughs> created by. The, the pre-show planning. I'm going to go with winner, my winner. Um, I'll keep this quick. I was really impressed by the Bills defense and Leslie Frazier against Baltimore. Um, we know that the Bills defense is good. Shocker, right? But they're very banged up. Obviously, they don't have Micah Hyde anymore. And um, what impressed me was some of the adjustments they made at halftime. So I think that, I mean, there's no blueprint for playing Lamar, but I thought this is about as good as it gets in terms of the right approach, which is, you know, mostly in nickel. You keep, and we've seen this before with Lamar. You want to have those lighter, faster bodies on the field, basically, which is seems counterintuitive to right. how heavy the Ravens are and and the fact that they can pound the rock. But it is if you have, you know, some stout defensive linemen, it's something that you can pull off. Uh, and then also in the Dom- Dominique in the second half, um, they made a few changes. I talked about the Niners' defense and how they don't blitz. The Bills' defense is the least blitzing defense. I think more less so than the Niners. But in the second half, Frazier cranked it up from about 10% to over 20%. And it felt like every blitz was just like perfectly timed. And the Ravens were totally unprepared for it. Um, So that was impressive. I thought the two linebackers, Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, were outstanding in this game. And they're going to need to be with the safety injury. And then finally... um, you know, the Bills defense is, it, they don't, it's not very complicated, but I did notice they were using more disguise in the second half, spinning in and out of their typical cover two shell. And I thought that gave Lamar troubles as well. So I just wanted to give quick snaps to the Bills defense and Leslie Frazier. Oh, quick snaps? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the quick snaps to the Bills defense. I, I, they shut them out in the second half. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's TLDR. Incredible. It yeah. <laughs> it, it's it was raining, so that was like a yeah. limiting factor, also. But um, Josh Allen led the game-winning drive. We're going to talk about Josh Allen in that game, and Josh Allen was the best running quarterback in that game. Yeah, um, he ran the ball uh, very effectively on important downs, which I don't think I would have ever thought that I would see a game that Lamar Jackson was in, and the opposing quarterback ran the ball better than him. So that's all important, but like the second half to completely, the Ravens' defense didn't come up big, obviously when they needed to, but to completely shut the Ravens out in the second half, and I know they could have scored if they kicked that field goal, they didn't go for it, which I don't think you and I have to have that debate. I think we're both on the same side of this one, but it's really impressive for them. Like the results and for you to break down why the results were what they were is impressive. We'll see what happens going forward because no one has the single right answer for Lamar, but that was the right answer for that time. I have one little mini rant on the fourth down thing. Why is going for it always, I think you have maybe said this to me too, so I might be cribbing from our own conversations. It's always going for it or just aggression generally is always what the nerds want and the old school football 
can't it be the reverse? Like, why can't? It be. Yeah, why can't aggression offensively in decision making, setting aside the fact that it's supported by the numbers? Oh, terrifying! Why can't that be what? players like and offensive players do want it like why do we always have to couch it as this weird binary like jocks nerds thing because it like there are jocks on the other side who want to be aggressive because it was introduced to us by the nerds like it was something there was a way of doing it and then we started doing it differently and people were pointing to spreadsheets and saying this is why we do it differently and so it it became like associated with them like i i agree with you and uh, as a defensive player I would like them to go for it. And I'm not on the field anymore, but I, like, I feel like a lot of defenders are like, take the points, take the points. Yeah. Whereas I, Trust I am like, no, put it out of reach or <laughs> make make my job even easier. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because especially in that game when it's hard for me to listen to people say, take the points, trust your defense. Against then Josh we watched Allen. the defense give up Super an 80 soldier? yard drive, and then they yeah, yeah they could have also right. Yeah, it wasn't like they like uh, there was a penalty in there that was iffy. The roughing the passer, they might have stopped yeah, in there, but in was, general, that was really stupid. Yeah, <laughs> I had to, uh, so Marcus Peters got into it with Harbaugh, and people were like, "See, yeah. a defensive player was angry," and I'm like, "Guys, I know Marcus Peters has been out for a year, but um, can I remind you of his history on the sidelines <laughs> in both yeah. college and the NFL? It's a little bit <laughs> not really the." Not an unusual uh, situation for him. All right. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your woof, and then my woof. The reason I've structured this way is because my woof's sad, and there's no way we could put pivot from my woof to be like, so how about the Bills defense? So yeah. you go first. All your woofs are, I mean, all all the winners and all the woofs are yours. You get to claim them all this week. <laughs> um, what am I doing now? The woof, Kenny Pickett. And it's not even so much his performance. I can defend him in his performance in that game. Like, it's fine. He got thrown in in the middle. It's his Future, I think, um, who was I talking to? Oh, I was talking to, I really love the Amtrak employees. I go up on a salad to New York from D.C. to New York and back every Monday and Wednesday. And I've gotten to know um, a lot of the guys who work the train and the women who work the train. I love them. They're great people. They're my friends now. They got takes. And one of them's a Steeler <laughs> fan. And he was like, Kenny Pickett, the Kenny Pickett era starting. That game was ugly, but, like, our O-line can protect now. And I'm like, oh, brother, get them expectations low, my friend. Cause this, And he was like, yeah, he, he wasn't ready. The last interception was a Hail Mary, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, yeah, but this ain't the answer. T. 
TJ Watt ain't there. The O-line is doing better protecting, but they still can't run the ball. And what you need for a young quarterback, I think, is a way to take the pressure off of them. Ways to take pressure off of them is dominating defense, good rushing attack. They don't have either right now. And Kenny Pickett ain't the guy that, I mean, we've been through this before. I generally don't believe that there is like a quarterback that you drop on a bad roster and he just makes it good. But if that guy exists, it ain't Kenny Pickett. So I I feel the Wolf is, is partially about his performance, but it's mostly about the beginning of the Kenny Pickett era is going to be some tough games with a team that is not built to receive him. Yeah, I mean, like, so just to address his performance, you know, he did not, you know, obviously it was up and down. I thought uh, the offense had a little bit more juice than it did with Trubisky. There was, you know, I, he seems to have a nice rapport and trust with George Pickens, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Had a couple of good throws over the middle of the field, used his legs. On um, the interceptions, they were tipped, but they were bad decisions, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But that doesn't matter. What matters is that the next... <laughs> I'm not the first person yeah. to say this. Here's the next. Here's the Steelers schedule. Bills, who we just talked about. Mm. Bucks, Dolphins, mm. Eagles, mm. bye. Mm. Saints, defense still you know, good. Uh, mm. And then you mm. got Bengals, Colts, Falcons, Ravens, Panthers, Raiders, Ravens, Browns. This feels like the worst possible place to have started Kenny Pickett. And I think that's what's so puzzling to me about this because i was asked before the season when should kenny pick a play and i said either play him now or wait until like halfway through the season when the schedule gets soft as hell and they didn't play yeah. him now and they literally waited for the exact moment and i and it doesn't seem like it was premeditated necessarily i, mean, I don't know what's going on they, you know tomlin said they put them in just because the offense lacked like it wasn't they needed a spark i think was his words but it it literally could not be a worse moment to play him some teams and organizations have earned our trust and deserve it. The Steelers are one of those teams and organizations. However, I don't get it. I don't get it why at halftime, like, it would seem to me that you would want to give a quarterback the best possible chance to succeed, which would include a full week of practice with the ones, not a halftime Eh, we need yeah. some juice. The best argument I can come up for for the Steelers throwing him in there is the same argument I had when they um, traded for Minka Fitzpatrick. Is yeah, is I mean the argument back then, or the reason why people were critical of that is they were about to be bad and they had first round picks and they didn't have a quarterback. They, they traded those to bring in, or they traded the first round pick to bring in Minka Fitzpatrick, a safety, which is a position that's like, it's not a, a pivotal position necessarily if you're trying to win a championship. And so, like, I could understand people saying, why are you doing that? Just go ahead and ride out this bad season, get a first round quarterback. But the argument I made for that was they have a culture of like winning, doing everything you can to win doing everything you can to be competitive and not planning or not playing for the future, allowing the future to be the future, but we are going to be the Steelers and they have always been that. And I guess that is the argument is like, we got into halftime and damn all of your like 
plans and whatever. We want to ease Kenny in. We want to prepare him right. We want to win today. The best chance for us to win is not with Mitchell Trubisky. They could have learned that before halftime. <laughs> but they, when Mike Tomlin decided that that was the time, then that was the time. I don't really believe that argument, but that's the best thing I can do to try to make it make sense. I will say, uh, most of my argument is about the competition because I do think there are pieces here for a good offense. Um, the offensive mm -hmm. line is playing better. The skill players are yeah. really good, and I think Kenny Pickett can be better than Mitchell Trubisky. It's just the timing. All right. <sighs> we got about 10 minutes to solve concussions. Are you ready? Let's do it. <laughs> so that's my final wolf. I did, you know, I haven't talked about it on this show. Um, and the woof for me is the NFL, the concussion protocol, our belief in it, our, the fact that basically for years we've kind of stopped talking about it. And I think that's what struck me the most, Dominique, about um, everything that's happened over the last couple of weeks with Tua Tungabailoa. And then since then, I think a renewed focus on concussions throughout the league. Um, you know, seeing Cameron Brait, Bucks tight end, come back into the game. Tony Dungy was critical of that decision, you know, said he was he was staggering and, and the Bucs have said, well, he said he had a shoulder injury. And I think the thing that we all agree on now coming out of this is self-reporting doesn't work. It, I would recommend people go listen to um, Alex Smith was on ESPN Daily Public Tory yeah, and talked about how he talked about how he had like basically deceived and easily passed tests to get away with it. And I don't know if I'm sure the tests have changed since then, but it doesn't work. And I think um, the question is, what does work? And I don't think there's a simple answer for that. But for me, like, the most important thing now is trying to think of a less, a more, um, a less crude way to say we got to be on their. <laughs> uh, every time a player looks to be concussed and goes back into the game, there has to be to a level scrutiny. I think that's the only thing that's going to work is frankly an abundance of caution. And that's not going to solve concussions football. It's not going to, this is, you know, it's part of the game. You talked about it. I thought you articulated really well this morning. But as far as like the media and fans and everything that we can do, it's, we have to be less trusting than ever. And I think that's really where the complacence, complacency has kicked in is we've all just been way too trusting for the last few years. Yeah, um, the ESPN Daily episode was really good with Alex Smith. People should listen to it if you haven't already. Alex very, um, like, did a very good job of articulating the motivation to get back out there and also of how easy it is to, yeah. like, beat the test because it's not a, a break that you can x-ray. It's um, subjective. And you can probably come back to like some level of awareness more quickly, but it doesn't mean that your brain hasn't been impacted. So, and it doesn't mean that you aren't susceptible to like a second concussion syndrome. You can still be, you can still answer all the questions as quickly as possible, and you can still pass all of the physical um, tests that they ask, and your brain still be in jeopardy, which is why. If somebody shows those like wobbling or grab their head yeah. or something like that, yes, abundance of caution. But I think my point through all of this is the point of the concussion protocol is kind of to protect us, <laughs> you know, because like make us we don't feel like, like there's at least something. Yes. Yeah. 
It's to it's to protect us from confronting the fact that like right. football is really freaking cool. And it's so fun to watch and very fun to play. And none of us want to give that up. But we need to understand that it's also very dangerous and we can't take it out. Uh, we can't take the risk out of the game. And when you play a football game, particularly if you're offensive lineman, defensive lineman, linebacker, running back, these type of positions, you have sub-concussive episodes the entire game. And those things can lead you. And you, you look at like the players who we learn about who like commit suicide and have the really bad CT outcomes yeah. that are scary. Like those are not quarterbacks or uh, yeah. and oftentimes they're not people who take those big shots that we remember. Those are just guys who went in every day and had multiple subconcussive episodes through the course of their career. So like I obviously am aware of the research. I'm not going to pretend like I know more than like doctors and all that stuff, but I think that the doctors will tell you that this game cannot be made safe as it is currently constructed. So, like, I would never argue for the abolition of football, but what I think we should do is, like, not be all sanctimonious when we see this stuff and accept that we are also a part of this and do what we can to, like, be honest about it. And so, yeah, we don't want to see the big, ugly, gruesome hits, but everybody on that field at the end of that game shook hands and went back to yeah. their locker room. All those guys, like, theoretically, got a little closer to CTE. <laughs> um, and it's not just Tua. That's all. I think you're... It's, yeah, like, what you said at the beginning, kind of about concussion protocols for us, I think, like, that was something that struck me is, like, oh, as soon as the Tua thing happened, it's like, okay, they're going to try to isolate the bad actor and say, hey, this this happened, but it's not the normal thing, and the protocol works. And and actually, I was I was wrong, because it does sound like there is acknowledgement, and we'll see what it actually leads to, that the protocol doesn't work, that it wasn't just a bad actor. We we know, by the way, that, you know, multiple people are involved in making a decision for a player to go back on the fields. But your point is well taken. Like, there has to be some degree of acceptance that this can't, this is not going to be legislated out of the sport. It can't be solved easily with a little tweak like, oh, we're going to have a better spotter and we're going to have a better test. It's not going to solve it. However, I also think we can accept those things and put pressure on the league to raise yeah. the bar because the bar right now is clearly too low and it's low for a number of reasons one of which is, is like you know I, I said like i think we've just stopped paying attention to it all together uh, my friend our friend jay king had a column at the beginning of this year about after um the death of vincent jackson and philip adams former nfl cornerback killing people barely raised an eyebrow amongst yep. people in the league. And, and i think and and his conclusion this column was like wow we really stopped caring about concussions and i think we can undo that we can at least start putting pressure like if a player like Cameron Bate or Tua looks concussed that should be enough yeah. that the, there should be yeah. an abundance of cotton and I'm not saying it solves the problem and I'm not saying it right. um yeah. but I, I I do think like at least the complacency can be addressed um and that starts you know I I, I myself like I, I said this on NFL Live when when Tua came back on Monday I didn't say about it no, I was asked about yeah. it on Sports Center. I said, well, they asked me, they said, well, it looks like, what do you, do you think he should have been in the game? And I was like, mm, well, yeah. I mean, I saw him hit his head, but they said he passed the test, and I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. That was woefully, woefully 
um, insufficient. And that's my point is like, we need to take responsibility. That's what I said this morning um, is like, McDaniels, McDaniels should take responsibility for his part in it. We need to take responsibility for our part in it. And by we, I mean analysts and I mean fans and all of us who were like repulsed by him being out there and yeah. repulsed by the fencing reaction is like we should we need to keep that same intensity all all the way through and yeah. apply it to as many things as we can apply it to it's a hard thing to do it's human nature i understand it is like across society any issues that we have like we just don't want to look at them <laughs> we don't actually yeah. want to address them we just don't want to look at them from george floyd to anything else so like i'm sorry it's going way off of topic but it just feels like well, some part of human nature that we need to figure out how we can hold ourselves accountable and address it. What bothered me, like, maybe Dan, I'm sure he's he seems like a good guy who cares about his players, and I don't think there's any, like, right. malicious intent, certainly. But one thing that really bothered me about the way he's talked about this is how definitive he's been. Yeah. Um, just continually saying, I have complete faith that we did the right thing, and I trust our doctors, and what. Like, dude... It, if there's anything to take away from all of this, it's that you can't trust any of it and we don't know what the hell a concussion looks like in the moment. Yeah, and I think that. all of us need to be less... I mean, the, the NFL wants us to be definitive, to feel like, okay, we, that's a concussion. This is not a concussion. They did it right. They did it wrong. But the reality is this is messy as hell. Like, we, this is... It's, you know, we know that you can't diagnose them in the moment. So I think... For him and like other people in and around the league, like we all have to be a lot less definitive moving forward because the only thing I've we've really learned from this is that we know a whole lot less than we think we did at this point. Yeah, I mean, I just I just wanted some more like recognition and compassion from Mike McDaniel. There is like, don't be so defensive. I, yeah. it feels to me like I know people say this often, like, what would you do if it was your son? You don't even have to go that far. It's just like. What would you do if you didn't work for this organization? What would you say? Like, it seems obvious. It's like, and I try to imagine myself in that situation. It's like, I like to imagine that I would feel terrible. And I don't think that I would do anything different than Mike McDaniel. I'm not trying to say I'm a better person than him in any way. Like, if the doctors, which they did, told him he could play, I would have put my quarterback back in the game also. And I would have started him the following week if, like, during the week he passed all the tests. Like, that's not my job to like do concussions. But after what happened happened, I like to think that I wouldn't stand up and say, we did everything right. No, like something was done wrong, obviously, and you were a part of it and you had the ability to not do that. And hopefully he learns from it going forward and whatever. Now, hopefully other coaches do too. But, you know, I won't hold my breath. All right. That was a lot. Dominique. Can we go eat now? I'm hungry. I'm really hungry. See you next week. Bye.